the world leader in Internet talk radio. You're listening to America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. I got 50% plus one majority in the room. I, uh, I often do that. I mean, this, this is obviously a big crowd, but I, I will often use that, what I call the quorum rule, right? So that's what it is, it's a quorum. 50% plus one of the people who are supposed to be in the room. And what I found was is that just giving people the parameters for that generally leads to better behavior, right? So this was when I when I first started doing this, and I was like in the hallways, come on, come on in, you know, I'm going to start, you know, and they're like, yeah, I don't care, I'm still having a conversation. Um, and when I just when I changed to this, and even in a small group like of you know seven or eight people, you know, just wait wait a meeting, even at a customer situation. Even at a customer situation, when if you've got a meeting that's scheduled for 10:30, and the you know the seven people are sitting in there, and the one person who's missing is the CEO of the other organization, start the meeting anyway. Start the meeting, and let you know let them know this is what I do. I wait for a quorum, 50% plus one, and then we start the meeting regardless of who's not here, and that's that's how we're going to run things. And I remember doing this, and you know what one blustery CEO came in and said, you started without me? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> he goes, good. <laughs> I, got, I got called his bluff, right? I called his bluff. Was I supposed to, supposed to wait around for you? We got, we got work to do here, dude. So, and the, probably the, the most interesting example of where this came into play as I was doing consulting a class in, uh, in Kingston, Jamaica. You know, the land of, no problem, man. <laughs> I would like a cup of tea, no problem. You'll never get your tea, but it was no problem. And what was interesting about that is I gave, I gave this rule, just like I did you know, here after one of the, the breaks. And this, uh, this gal, I think, um, she, she, she laughed at me, right? When I said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to start with 50% plus run in the room. She, she laughed. She's like, you don't understand. It's like, this is not how we operate. It's like, you don't give a time and expect people to be actually back. <laughs> you don't, it's, it's just the culture. It's not wrong. It's just not the culture. It's like, you know, I, I hear in, in Asia that in many cultures in Asia, it's more polite to say, uh, yes, I'll come to dinner, and then just not show up, than it is to say no, you know, that I, I, that I, I won't show at all, right? Because it's, it's impolite to say no, it's more polite just to not show. It's a cultural thing. But this, so there's a cultural thing. That's the, the, that, well, the turns out that people followed the rule. Yeah, and yes, we had a couple scragglers come in. And I got perhaps the, one of the best compliments or, or comments that I ever got on an, on an evaluation. And she wrote at the bottom of the thing, she says, well, for, for three days you changed the culture. <laughs> I was like, well, that's pretty cool. <laughs> uh, one of, the, one of the, the, and I do mean beauties, one of the reasons why I love being a consultant and calling myself a professional consultant is because I think what it does is it gives you the opportunity to be a model for behavior. Um, in in uh, philosophy, there's a big 
the, between the is and the ought, right? What is and what ought to be, and we, we, you know, we, we love to see what ought to be, but here's what we have, here's is, here's the reality of the situation. But as a consultant, and that's why I, I like this being outside the organization <clears throat> to do this, is you can be a model for behavior about the way things ought to be. The way things ought to be is that meetings ought to start on time, right? So if you're there, meetings start on time. You don't, you don't adapt your culture to the organization that you're working for. Far too many consultants or people who call themselves consultants do that. They're like, well, this is just how they are. You know, they, they come in at 9 o'clock in the morning, and we, 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 the meeting's at 9, but they all come in at 9, and we kibitz around the coffee pot until 9.30, talking about last night's game or whatever, or, uh, you know, the crazy American debates or whatever, whatever it is, and, and then we actually get started at 9.30, right? So you say, but that, well, that's just how they are, so that's how I, I adapt to them. No, you actually do it the other way, right? Say the meeting will start at 9.30. Give them their kibitz time from 9 to 9.30 and just say, we're going to start the meeting at 9.30, but we're going to start the meeting at 9.30. Right? And be that, be that model for the way things ought to be. Right? So more on that as, as we move along. All right, let's a uh, <clears throat> quick quiz here. True or false? People will assign you an intent whether you want them to or not. True. Right? They will, they will th they think this is what your intention is. Next, the perception of their intent will largely influence the meaningful flow of information during your conversations. Right. So their perception of what your intention is will make them either give you more information or less information, tend to withhold or offer, depending upon their perception of your intent. Next up, the meaningful flow of information will affect your ability to create a system, a solution that will gre create greater freedom for them to succeed. Yes, right? So this is about the meaningful flow, and you see where this is going now, okay? You can strongly influence people's perception of your intent even without saying what it is. True. And then, let's talk about this. Why not state your intention? Why not state what your intention is? This is my intent. And it's, I think it's because far too often people don't think enough about what their intent is, and they think they have a default intent. Well, my intent is to get the business. Is it? Is that what the intent is? Could be. And if you state that intent, probably is going to flow, affect the meaningful flow of information. But if you don't say it, is that going to might be their perception anyway? Right? Well, they're, they're here in a sales front. I would assume that they're, what they're here to do, their intention, is to sell me something. <laughs> right? So that's going to be what they get, where they're thinking, whether you want them to or not. So I think it's better to perhaps state what your true intention is. I actually stated my intention earlier today, and I, and I state it whenever I begin any kind of a consulting engagement. And I, I'll, I'll just re you probably don't remember it. It was in the middle of a conversation. But my intention, this is what I say, my intention as a professional consultant is to help you and your organization make the best possible decision. That's my, in, my intent statement as a consultant. It's not to solve their problems. Notice? Got their problems may not be solvable. And by the way, there's, I think that's also sometimes a false notion to think that problems are solvable. Problem-solution language itself, I think, is 
bringing us down societally, right? You know, watch the U.S. debates and you'll hear a lot of this. I have a solution. No, you don't. This is a highly complex problem, right? It's, 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 it's inane for you to state that you have a solution to this problem, right? There are trade-offs. There are trade-offs, and we have to explore those trade-offs. Complex problems don't, I think, most of them do not have a, oh, just do that, duh. Right? And I think this is true inside businesses. The complex problems that we encounter, they don't have a solution. They, there's trade-offs, and if your role as intention as a consultant is to help them make the best possible decision for them and their organization, they might give you more meaningful flow of information. Does that make sense? Okay. So try that on for size. I, I certainly welcome you to use my um, intention statement, but you know you, you don't have to for sure. Say it again, please. I'm, I'm sorry. Say it again if you want. Sure. My intention is to help you and your organization make the best possible decision. Every word is important. It, uh, and I, I've thought about this for a lot, for a long time. So it's not just I'm here to help you make the best possible decision. I'm not here to help your organization make the best possible decision. It's you and your organization make the best possible decision, right, together. Because there's, there's, there's always a direct personal relationship. I'm not a big, you know, business to consumer, business to business. I don't, I don't buy into that B to C, B to B, C to C, whatever stuff. As far as I'm concerned, there ain't nobody here but us people, <laughs> right? I don't care how big or small or large the organization is, it's all made up of people, and it's people to people. It's one-on-one -on -one interaction. So I, I, I'm not a big, I don't, I don't think that the, there's much difference between dealing with large organizations and small organizations because in the end it's all about the individual people relationships. And if you, can, if you work through and navigate those and concentrate on those, the other stuff that does occur in large organizations, you will be able to navigate that too. But just navigate the people first. Stay with the people. People to people. Okay. Next thing I wanted to share with you, and I'm, I'm sort of jumping around on this, but this, this is another super profound thing. It, and it, it is in dealing with these complex issues. Far too often when a customer or prospective customer comes to a professional with a complex problem, the, the reaction by the professional is a little weird. Because they'll often, especially the bill by the hour people, because they'll do they'll they'll do this. They'll they'll do it's what I call that that French thing, right? They're like, "Hello, how long do you think this is gonna take? How much is it gonna cost?" You know, back to the how questions, and you go, "I do not know." <laughs> this is a very complex problem. This problem is really now. This is like exactly what you want. Do you want to hear this when you're being wheeled into surgery? Your doctor saying to you, "Whoo, never seen that before." Whoa. <laughs> that's that's not good, really. Is all right. You don't want to hear that, but that, I believe that is what far too many professionals tell prospective customers with complex problems. 
right? Because they, you know why I know this? Because they come to me, and when I say, well, you should fix price that, they're like, well, they don't even know what the hell they want. <laughs> how, how am I supposed to put a price on that? I don't even, they don't even know what they want, right? And my response is, well, that, should you do work if they don't know what they want? Well, they want me to. <laughs> okay, but you said they don't know what they want. <laughs> Wouldn't be your first job be to, I don't know, help them figure out what they want? <laughs> well, they just want me to work. On what? <laughs> I don't know. Well, okay. <laughs> See, it's, getting, it's like circular error again. So one of the, the, the genius ways that I have seen this dealt with is by a guy by the name of Chris Marsden, who is a attorney in Boston. Um, I think he, he I, met, I met him now 10 years ago when he was like 25 years old. He's now 35 years old. Uh, he's, about, he's about yay tall. And, and he talks like this. He's got like this really squeaky high voice. But, and, like, and he says stuff like, <laughs> Chris says, well, you know, his Harvard degree isn't any better than my Harvard degree. Like, who says stuff like that? Well, Chris does. And <laughs> he's, a, he's a, a corporate litigator in Boston who does 100% fixed price guaranteed uh, agreements. Corporate litigator. <laughs> right? Chris, when he was uh, 17, or, wrote a song that was in... Ghostbusters 2, <laughs> like which nobody, which nobody watched. But the song, actually, I forget what the song, but it, the, it was the one song that everybody goes, oh, that was the one from Ghostbusters 2 that I didn't see, right? That was, they knew the song, and that was the song that Chris wrote. He's like, yeah, I'm still getting checks. <laughs> it, it, he, was, he was at a conference like this. He was at a conference like this where, where he's sitting down, and there's a piano in the hallway, Right? And Chris sits down at the piano and starts playing something. I'm like, oh, that's Chris. What's that? That's pretty good. What is it? I don't know. I'm just making it up. <laughs> anyway, so, but he has this great concept about how to deal with complex issues. And I, it's called Marsden's uh, Circle of Scope. When a, 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 someone comes into him with a complex problem, which in this case is you know, corporate litigation, right? They come down, and they sit down in the chair, and they know a couple of things, right? They, 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 someone, is someone being sued? Let's just say, is someone being sued, <laughs> right? So Chris knows a couple of things. He knows what, he's read through the lawsuit. He knows perhaps what judge this has been assigned to, and maybe he's worked with that judge in the past. Uh, he knows the, who, the, who the other attorney is, because it's on the, the, the brief, right? So he knows who the, so there's certain things that he does know. But it, is it possible for him, him to know how this case is going to play out? No. I, I mean, absolutely not. Even knowing those things, he has no idea. Right? So what he does is he takes them through these circles, and he draws them one circle at a time. So the first circle is he says, okay, look, this is the yes work. This is the stuff that I know that I've got to do. I've got to respond to this. I've got to, I've got to, I have to do a response to this. That's by definition, we've got to do that. Right? I, also, I also, what I need to do is I also should file a cross-complaint against them. 
right? Because that's the first thing that you do is you file a response and then cross-complain against what, what it is that they're doing, and then maybe the whole thing goes away. So those, that's absolutely the yes work. Now, don't you know if one of your prospective customers has a, a complex problem? Don't you know the first couple steps that you got to do, right? You don't know what the answers are, but you know what the first couple of steps are, right? So he says, this is what I got to do. I got to do this, and I got to do this. This is in the yes circle. This is what we got to do no matter what. He then draws the next circle, and he says, and then this is likely, and this is like 50% or more likely to happen. It's also likely that there's not going to be anything that happens from this cross-complaint, so it's likely that I'll have to file a motion for summary judgment after they say that they're not going to dismiss this, or this, so I want to file for a dismissal. At that point, it makes sense for us to send depositions out to their three top guys, your two top guys, right? And So that's what's likely to happen after this, and he might play out two or three scenarios that is likely to happen. Right? So it might just be, it might be the summary judgment or the depositions. So you can see he's like creating some possibilities right, for like, likely to happen. So he's so far with me. By the way, all of my legal terminology and knowledge due to years and years of watching Law & Order. I have no idea <laughs> what I'm talking about <laughs> with these things. It's just it's like, choo-choo, deposition. Oh, that must be something. All right. So <laughs> that's how I know this stuff. Didn't stay at the Holiday Inn Express last night either. Okay, so, so that's, that, that's the likely. And then he draws the maybe circle. And he says, look, this is what might happen after that. Right? At that point, it might be a trial. Uh, at that point, there, that there, there you know, might be some other things that we need to do, additional depositions that have to get filed. We have to, might, might have to bring in a, a third-party legal or in, industry expert to testify on your behalf. Right? So he lays all of these different scenarios out, and this is that, but that's 50% or less chance of happening. Right? And then he does sometimes draw this last circle, and I'll talk about the sometimes in a second, which is the WHK, which stands for who the hell knows. Right? You know, precedent-setting case goes all the way up to the Massachusetts Supreme Court, U.S. Supreme Court, The Hague, I mean, you know, whatever. Who the hell knows? Right? Now, I say sometimes he draws this, and I'll get back to that in a second. But <clears throat> what, is, what is Chris doing here that is pretty interesting? Well, first of all, he's creating choices and options, right? Based on the finance. So you see he's creating these potential three levels. So he'll offer them a yes price. He'll offer them a likely price. He'll offer them a price for all of the maybe work, even though he doesn't know what it all is. He says, look, this is, it's all in the maybe stuff here. This is your maybe price, $100,000, and we'll take care of all of that up, up to there through the trial. Right? Now, what's really interesting about this pricing mechanism is what happens if the customer says, you know what, I'll take that maybe price. That's right. I, just, I'm gonna, I write you a check for $100,000, and you're going to take this through all the way? Yep. Good. Well, what if he files that motion for summary judgment and comes back dismissed? Right? Most of the time, what do they, do? What do they think of Chris? We love you. This was great. Right? Occasionally, he said, I will offer a percentage clawback. I'll just write him a check back for 20%, since we didn't go all the way out that. And I'll just write him a check for 20% back. They love me even more, because they weren't expecting it. Right? They were just like, oh, great to get this done for $100,000. Now, so he's, set, he's creating options. He's potentially creating scope. 
But he's doing one other thing that is critically important. And that is, is the person sitting in this chair, when he's going through these circles, is thinking what? This, this guy knows what he's talking about. This guy's done this before, right? He's, he's had scenarios like this. He, it's not wheeling into the operating room going, never saw that before, right? So he's, he's creating a confidence in him and in himself in a non-braggadocious way. And believe me, Chris can be braggadocious, <laughs> right? But he's, he, he, he is creating a confidence in him by just having this conversation with them and laying it out in this format. So in a sense, he's creating value for them in the process of understanding. That's really big, right? His process has value. Now, I said that he doesn't always draw the WHK, <clears throat> and that's because Chris views his customer base as a portfolio, right? Is there are certain times when he has two or three WHK matters in his portfolio already, and he doesn't want another one, right? He doesn't want another one. So he won't draw the circle. Does the customer know that the circle even exists? <coughs> nope, <laughs> right? So they're none the wiser on it. It's not like they've gotten anything less, but he doesn't want to bring in too much WHK work at any one time in his organization. So this to me is, is to me, the, one of the clear best ways to deal with any complex problem or anything that you perceive to be complex. The one that I hear most often when I come to this conference is, you know, their books are a freaking mess, <laughs> right? And that's, the, that's, what I, that's what I hear back. How, how can I know what to price them? They, it's a mess, right? Unprecedented. Never seen that before, right? But you did. And, but again, do you know the first couple of steps that you got to do? Of course. Of course you do. So I think what the, the lesson here is you know more than you think you know, right? You, you, you don't know how it's going to end. I agree. You don't have a crystal ball. We're not, you know psychic bookkeepers. None of, you have, none of you have prophecy listed as one of your things on your websites. Do, do you? I'm just checking. Right. Prophecy? No? Good. That's good. Keep that off there, don't. Crystal ball reading. Dennis Leary, you know Dennis Leary? Right? He's got a great line. He says, you know, psychic friends network went out of business. You'd think they would have seen that coming. I mean, why, why are they going to business then? <laughs> I think it's great because it completely, you know, don't go to psychics because clearly they don't, they don't know what the hell they're talking about. <laughs> right. So you're not, you're not psychic consultants, you're not psychic bookkeepers, and I get that. But, you, but, but give yourself credit that you do know more than you think you know from a process standpoint. You know the, you know the, the likely path even if you don't know what's exactly on that path. Yes? All right, so I hope that's, that's helpful. I, I, I love this concept. I use this almost all of the time in my conversations with people. Yes, question. Mm -hmm. So when he leaves out the WHK, 
that's yep. not an option. What happens when he gets into the client account? Uh-huh. Yeah, so the, which was, she asked us, if he doesn't draw the WHK and it kind of goes there anyway, right? Um, and actually the same thing is true is sometimes the, the customer will come back and just take the yes work, right? Right, so they just take the yes work and all right, so it, he does this, this, and this, well, and, it, and what happens is the likelies begin, well, what does he do? Great, great question, what he do, does, is he brings him back in, sits him down, and they redraw the circles, starting with what we do know. Right? Because now that we've done, some of, we've done some of that yes work, now we know what the next step is. And we start with, based on what we've already done, this is now the yes work. Right? Yep. Yep. So it's just constantly, but, they, but the important thing here is, is that you're giving the customer the choice up front. Right? He, the first time I saw him do this, it was uh, at a, at a, uh, conference of lawyers who were just incredulous. I mean, they just could not believe that here's an attorney who's offering fixed price, guaranteed, you know, money back guaranteed work on corporate litigation. And they, 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 they asked him, so, you know, so, how, well, how do you price that? How do you price that? And he, 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 he did it on a whiteboard. He drew it out and he, you know, took the cap off the, the end of the pen, right? Sorry, took the cap off the end. <laughs> and he puts it on and he goes, Actuarily. <laughs> actuarily, that's how he prices it. He prices it like an actuary. He said, he said and then the story was, uh, I'm in Boston, right? And I look out of my office, and there's all of these big buildings. And they all got insurance company names on them, <laughs> right? I was like, well, I got to get into this deal, because this clearly is working. Right? So he views it not as selling legal services. He looks at it as selling insurance. That's how, that's how he goes, you know, I'm selling insurance, which is a completely different model. Right? I'm selling insurance against thing, bad things from happening. What's weird about insurance, though, insurance is, you know, you, we buy insurance for stuff we don't want. Right? You don't want a flood, so you buy flood insurance. And you, and you don't think at the end of the year, like, whew, I really wish I had pulled the trigger and had a flood. <laughs> right? I really wish we were going to use the flood insurance this year. You don't, you just write the check for the next year and go, I hope I don't have a flood. Right? So, you, so, so if, we, if, we can change, if we can change our minds around the notion of what we're selling is I know you, fire, fighting fires, putting out fires. Any of you feel like your firefighter was putting out fires? Right? Instead, of the, instead how, what would your customers pay you for not having fires? Right? And, and that's, that's part of the, the shift that you need to make. And here's the, this is the, going back, this is the thing you have to make, change in your head first. I have two uncles who were, were firefighters, one of them in Providence, Rhode Island, the other one in, in New York City. Now, <laughs> what do firefighters do when there's a fire? They do what? They do something really crazy. They do, they run into the building, all right? <laughs> they run in to the building. All right, I don't have this courage. I've already scalped out the exits here. By the way, if there's a fire in here, where are you guys going? Yeah, I'm going that way. Because <laughs> all y'all are going that way. That's, that's, by the way, that's in Texas, that's the plural of y'all. All y'all. <laughs> Not just y'all. 
All y'all. Right. <laughs> so all y'all are going out that door because that's the door you came in. I'm going out that door with, with my buddy Jeff because I'm like, Jeff, no, don't go. Everybody's going to be there. You're going to be last. We're going out that door. All right? So you always look, and always look for the back door. <laughs> all right. So, but I, back to my, I don't worry. I, I, my record is recovering from seven tangents. I, once, I was once seven tangents deep during a speech and had to work my way all the way back. I'm only three in now. This is easy. All right. So I'm back. We're back now to my uncles. And, you know, they're firefighters. And if you told them, Jimmy, Richard, you know, you're, you, you're not going to fight fires anymore. You're going to sell fire insurance. They'd be like, no. <laughs> I don't want to do that. Right? So what you have to have is the understanding is that you kind of like the fires. You do. You kind of like them. You kind of get off on them. You're kind of like, yeah. You're like, <laughs> like you, hear, you hear somebody say, oh, I've got this huge problem. And you know the answer. And you're like, oh, that's so cool. I'm going to be able to fix this. <laughs> right? Now they're, they're burning down. You're like, oh, yeah, cool. <laughs> Because we, in a sense, do the same thing that the firefighters do. Like when you, when it, have you ever seen, seen a person like they're sitting there at, the, at their keyboard working on some system and an error message pops up and they go like this, right? Have you ever seen somebody do that? Like the error and they just go, whoa, right? What do you guys do? Oh, let me see that, <laughs> right? So you're like, cool, let me, oh, let me see. Yeah, that's good, all right? So, so we have to, you, you have to reference, hey, I've got to get over the fact that my job is putting out fires and instead help people realize that, hey, what would you pay me for not having problems? What would you pay me for not having fires? Right? Because there's, there's a value to that. But that's the insurance model. Just like you, when you, 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 you write your insurance, for, you don't, you're like, oh, I'm glad I didn't, glad I didn't have a fire this year and you write the check. By the way, there's another thing Chris pointed out to me, which I think is genius. Um, what do the insurance people call their prices? Premiums! Premiums! <laughs> like, just like, like, whoever the marketer were, was who came up was like, no, no, we're not going to call it a price. We're going to call it a premium. That's a good idea. Right? That was a genius, right? They call their price a premium. Awesome. <laughs> All right. So, so he said that's the transition he made. He said, look, I, and then what he does is he gets his customers not only after on the lawsuit, but he then, his model really isn't just, hey, I've, I got you out of this case. It's getting them on access level agreements so that any time in the future they get him in. And it's, it's not just this one-off. One that, that's why he's able to be so successful, because he's changed the model, right? When you work with Chris, most of his customers are just paying him, really, an insurance premium once a year. It's just like, if I need to, I can call Chris, right? So um, pretty, pretty interesting, interesting stuff. Questions on that? Is that, is that, is that helpful? Yeah. Right? Right? For scoping these complex. Yes, in the back there. 
Oh, we're gonna have, you're gonna have to wait because Robert's right there and I can't hear you at all. So, okay, great. Sorry. Um, Nate, you gotta put the microphone in front of your mouth. Okay, all right, good. <laughs> this is scary. <laughs> Here, wait. Okay. Here, come here. Okay, what? But just you and me. You and me. What? <laughs> so, so when you have clients that have then you've put out the fires, they get complacent. Yeah. So how do you light the interest again to get the fire insurance going mm -hmm. again? Yeah. If it all calms down. Yeah. You hire an arsonist. <laughs> to, no. We could just call CRA. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That is a fantastic question, and um, so the. Yes, it's a huge challenge, right? Because you put out the fire and now are you perceived as the firefighter or are you perceived as the insurance person, right? So that, that, that does become the challenge. And it, it is, it's a matter of, of, of changing, first of all, changing you, right? So you really have to change this. You cannot, you're not, your customers are not going to go, hey, listen, I'm just going to start paying you for not having problems. They're not going to do that, all right? So you, you have to first adopt your mindset. That's why it's about changing yourself first. Right? And what happens, and this is not instantaneous, you're not gonna leave, you know, go back Tuesday and go, hey, got it, true, no problem, right? This is, this is a, a process where you have to work this through in your mind, and the language will come to you. I mean, listen to what your other, uh, the, the folks at this conference have to say. There are many of you, I think, the Black Swan problem, who've put access level agreements in place. Yes, hands up if you've, right? So, yes, so it can, it can be done, right? The, the, the question is, is follow along, take it slow, do it in a trusted relationship first, right? One where you think that this, this person, you know, most likely to say yes to you. And it, you start to gain your confidence in it. Right? This is really, really, I, I, I'm not kidding, this is mostly about you gaining your confidence in yourself, right? You, I, I don't mean this disparagingly, you're closer to, Mich some of you are closer to Michelle, my friend Michelle, than you think, right? You're like, I have to, I have to. They're, they're, they're a not-for-profit, they save parrots. I got, <laughs> I love parrots, <laughs> right? <laughs> I didn't get, wait, hold on, this is a complete aside. I did have a, I have a friend who develops websites, and I am not kidding, and this is why Paris came into my mind. She did a website for an organization that was People Helping People Help Parrots. It wasn't People Helping Parrots. No, that's another organization. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was people who help other people who help parrots. This is one degree <laughs> removed from direct parrot contact. <laughs> Like, wow. She's like, yeah, they didn't have much money. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I wouldn't, I wouldn't think so. Yes, Marty. <laughs> so I do a lot of consulting. Yeah. And so I love this model, but I'm wondering how I reconcile it with the options. Like, is the yes your basic price, the mm -hmm. likely your middle? How do those two things work together? Yep, and he's done. Done. So, all right, I, Robert, I'm going to start from now on. Wait for the microphone. Fair enough. Rob, are you going to be here? I'm right here. 
right here. It's, 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 so wait for the microphone. It's, it's like the talking stick. Do you remember Stephen Covey had the whole talking stick thing? All right. So anyway, great question. So is this option? It can be. I mean, the, the, these are just different different co constructs that you can use in different areas. Could you be offering three different choices? Yes, likely, maybe. And that's how you do your pricing? Yes. But this can just exist separate and apart from that as a conversation. Oh, OK. OK. And that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, it, so so this you might not get to, to to pricing here at all, right? It's this might just be opening conversation to help understand and begin the diagnosis of a complex problem. Does that make sense? It, it does make sense, and I like what you said when you're sitting, and I can't totally remember, but uh, what does the lawyer's um, customer think? He thinks, yeah. "Wow, you really know your stuff." But I think also it scares them a little to know the things that could go wrong. Like you kind of put the fear in them a little and then go, but I can you know, yeah. solve your problems. Yeah, it, and look, it, it, it's not, uh, the intent is not to be rainbow vacuum cleaner and throw dirt on their carpet and say, watch, we can clean this up for you, <laughs> right? That, that's, 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 not, that's not the intention, right? Um, the intent is really to help them gain a better understanding of the nature of the problem as well. Right, and and look, this this is by the way this the this is not going to get easier, right? In the the coming next five years, this is going to get a lot harder. It's it's already gotten hard. It's it, it's doctors. Doctors are going through this right now. Um, I don't know about you. I love. I had uh, this last December, right right before Christmas, and I had just done a a slew of speaking, a slew of conferences, probably starting with this one. It gets kind of busy after this, right? And I, I had a really bad sore throat, nagging that wouldn't go away, but it wasn't like up here, it was like down here, it was down lower in my chest. So I, you know, went to Dr. Google. That's <laughs> what, <laughs> and I'm like, okay, well that's thyroid cancer. It's like, it's like, so I, I go, I finally make the appointment. My wife says, just, just make the appointment. So I go in and my doctor, Rachel, and we have a really good conversation. She's like, I'm like, I got th thyroid cancer. She's like, you went to Dr. Google, didn't you? I'm like, yeah. She's like, can I take a look at you? Would that be okay if we, maybe let's just start. How about I take a look at you first? Okay. Um, and it turned out to be, it was actually a lower, I had a, a, believe it or not, a cut or something down there that had gotten infected. Very weird situation. So, but anyway. I'm fine. Um, <laughs> no thyroid cancer. But you have. But right now, our customers have Dr. Google, don't they? Yeah. Right. So they're self-diagnosing. So the first thing that you need to do is come in and dissuade them of their self-diagnosis. Right. And this really—it's hard because they're—it's already in their mind. I got cancer. Mm -hmm. Right. So you, you have, the first thing we need to do is help them, wait a minute, let's take a step back here. Why did, and the best, I find the best way to do that is ask them quite bluntly, why did, why did you call me? Well, because I think you might know something I don't. Okay. <laughs> so would it be okay if I took a look at you? <laughs> right? Would it, be, would it be okay if I looked at you first? All right. Uh, which leads perfectly to this conversation. This is another really good conversation to have early on in any relationship. And you can certainly even bring this back to current customers, but there are three, I believe, three different roles that a consultant can play. 
Now this is different from the consulting levels, right? The consulting levels was findings, options, recommendation, decisions. I call that consulting levels. The language that I'm using here is consulting roles, right? The subject matter expert, right? The subject matter, SME. Now, oftentimes you can recognize when a customer views you this way because they say stuff like, you're the expert, Right? Yeah. Have you heard that one? Well, you're the expert. <laughs> well, you're the expert. Right, so, that, so then you're like, okay, let me uh, clue in that I must be viewed in this relationship as an expert. Now, in an expert role, what that means is, is the, and, and by the way, all of these are dependent on how the customer sees you, not how you want to be seen. I'll say that again. These are dependent on how the customer sees you, not how you want to be seen. So if the customer sees you as the expert, <clears throat> what they're going to do is that they're, they're, go they're going to give, give you a little leeway to solve the problem. But they're going to judge you after the fact. So they're kind of hands off, but it's very judgmental after the fact. They're really not all that much interested in working on a collaborative in a collaborative basis, right? They, they just want the expert. Come in, be the expert, and then I will judge your expertise as to whether or not I think you did a good job, okay? So that's, that's the expert role. The next one is the pair of hands role, right? This is, they want an extra pair of hands. They just want somebody to come in and, actually, and really more do more work. Now the difference between this and the subject matter expert is that these people are not giving you a short leash. Right? These are the, the, the folks who are standing, you know, you're, you're, you're sitting here working and they're like right over your shoulder. Have you had that? Isn't that pleasant? <laughs> right? That's what you want to do. Smack. All right. So, but, but we've had people like that. So they're, they're, and they're, they're supervising, right? Super, supervision. Think about that. They have supervision. I see, um, I see everything, and they, and they want to be, in, and, they're, and they're involved in everything, and they're watching, making sure that you're doing every little incremental step correctly, right? So in other words, you're not the expert. Ever see the difference between expert and pair of hands? Right, okay. <clears throat> and then finally, the last one is the collaborative partner. This is where you're working together, co-labor, right? Co-labor, work together. You're actually working together to solve a, or to, go through a series of trade-offs. See, I get stuck in the language myself. All right, figuring out the best possible decision for you and or your organization, right? So what I found is one of the most powerful questions that one could ask early on with a prospective customer is, which of these best describes the type of relationship that you would like from us? It's a pretty non-threatening question, right? I mean, is, do you see any problem with any of these things where a customer would like, I don't want to answer that question, they, they would push back? It's an innocuous question, it's a fair question. Do you view us as a subject matter expert? Do you view us as an extra pair of hands to help you through this? Or are you gonna, we're going to work together as a collaborative partner on this? Right? And what I like about this is that then really gives you a, a tremendous amount of insight as to how 
you're going to going to tra traverse through those first say 6 to you know 6 6 weeks to 3 months of the relationship because they're going to have that view of you it this one may, might change over time as you prove yourself or as you you might get invited more into the collaborative role right and i think that that's good and then there are certain people who are always just going to look at the outside or just always look at Hey, I just want I just view you as the extra pair of hands. That's it. That's all I want. Right? This I think is a great insight cuz into the the individual relationship, but it also I think is a great starting point for you is how do you vision your long-term firm success? Which of these 3 do you most prefer to be in? I do have an organization that does uh, CRM software that I've, I've worked with for years, and they ask this question, and unbeknownst to prospective customers, unless the answer is collaborative partner, we're not working with you. They you know, very politely kind of wrap things up and move on, and you know, we appreciate that they don't just get up and leave. <laughs> right? And, and, and this is back to one of the questions the gentleman over here asked earlier, they, they don't wait. They're like, we don't, if, if it's not collaborative partner, it's, we, don't, we, don't have, we don't have time. We, we don't want our organization to be one trying to convince people that they should be really working with a collaborative partner. <clears throat> so answer to this question, not C, move on and done. Right? Even if you're not going to concentrate on one or the other, and this is where going back to Marsden's theory about viewing your customer base as a portfolio, I, I would think it would be a good idea to kind of quickly go through in your head what percentage of your customers today are in each of these roles, view you in each of these roles. And then to ask an even more important, because this is a marketing question, is if you know, 50, 70% of you them view you as an extra pair of hands, and that's the work you don't like to do, well then make sure that your marketing material is not positioning you as an extra pair of hands. <laughs> that's the really weird part of this, is that sometimes we, we, end, we end up marketing for the very customers we don't want. Right. Thinking, oh, they'll change. Once I get them in, they'll see how brilliant I am. <laughs> right? So I think that can help you from a strategy level inside your organization. Again, there's no moral judgment here, right? There's no, there's no one is not better than the other. There's, each of us can have different preferences, and that's great. That's completely good. There is a problem, just to, to quickly describe this, is if, if, they, if, if you want to be a collaborative partner, and then, but they perceive you as the other two, the big problem there is that most of those folks perceive collaboration as a sign of weakness on their part. Right? They perceive, perceive that as, if, I, if, if, I, if they were lo to lower themselves to actually collaborate with you, right? that would somehow you know, knock them down a peg in their, in their mind, right? So I don't know necessarily what specifically to do about that, except I think it's really important to recognize it, right? To recognize that there is, as um, Brene Brown calls, a, there's a huge vulnerability, right? That's, that's some in, their, in their life somewhere, and it might not have anything to do with you, right? 
Yes. Wait for the microphone. Where's Robert? Here we go. You no, I know you do. But here's the thing. But here's the thing. We're recording this for posterity. And oh, right, right, right. And then this is this way. I don't have to repeat the question, so it makes so, life easier for me. I think that doing that conversation with per, uh, prospective clients is really going to tell you. It's really going to explain for you. Uh, I mean, you're saying this is how they're going to view you, but it, on a really, how can I explain this? It, uh, yeah, some of them treat you not well. Like they, they have <laughs> what you do. Their girlfriend could do it, but she got a job better somewhere else. So you're so. I think this is excellent to have this right up front. Yeah. And yeah. those are really good ways of asking for that information without, like you say, putting people on the... Yeah. yeah. It's not, it's, okay. This is really non-threatening, right? Oh, right? It's a non-threatening question. I don't, there's, I don't think there's any threat thing threatening it, putting them in a bad spot about answering this no, question. Yeah. yeah. So I think th th that's good. And it, it is a, a huge perception thing. So yeah, so they're going to view that as a, as a sign of weakness. Right it, to to actually lower themselves to collaborating. So you you got to be prepared for that, right? Okay. Good. Any other thoughts on this hand up in the back there? Right. This whole subject this morning speaks to me very strongly and clearly about the fact that we are actually interviewing our clients. Yeah to determine whether or not we want them in our practices. Yep. Yep. Do they deserve you? So there. <laughs> no, and that's good, because that, that's, that's, the, that's the evolution of that self-esteem part, right? Because and, and you, you have to have it, right? That nobody can, can give it to you. Um, another quick aside, because I was reminded of it by your, by your question, uh, and, and you're allowed to ask questions like this. You can't ask questions like this when you hire people, but if you're, if you're, if you're working for them, you can ask, so how's things with ho at home, you know, all this stuff. Um, I, I personally believe that how people behave in ho at home is how they behave in the office. Right? I, think it, they, I think they bring a lot of baggage. <laughs> Right, and this is this is actually the insight. Edwin Friedman talks about this too. This is where he's saying, you know, this, where this international relations, uh, all from from familial units all the way up to Saddam Hussein, right? He says be, be, because that that's how people behave. Like you don't think that Saddam Hussein was like a relaxed dad, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's like, hey, come on, let's go, you know, play some soccer or something with the kids after a hard day's work. Right? Is this like, so we, we, take that, we take that with us. I think it's the number one predictor of how people behave in the office is how people behave at home. But you can't ask that if you're hiring people. <laughs> right? You can't ask that. It's a bad question. Even in Canada, you, I don't think you can ask that question. Um, which is why, and now I'm another tangent deep, but which is why I asked this question. Who, who, is, a, who are, is, is a hero of yours and why are they a hero? Because about 50% of people, when you ask them that question, who is a hero of yours and why are they people, about 50% of people will, me will mention a family member. They'll say my mom, my dad, my brother, my sister, my kids, whatever. And once they bring it up on the interview, then you can talk about it. Right? <laughs> so if they say my hero is my dad, really, tell me more about your dad. Tell me how you've interrelated with your dad. 
you're allowed to ask that because they brought it up as a response to the hero question. Right? Now, if they say Pierre Trudeau, then unless it's their dad, <laughs> can't ask about it. Converted Barack Obama to Pierre Trudeau. <laughs> I'm running out. I'm running out. <laughs> I'm running out. Of, all right. So, but so I think that those 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 are important things. So the, and the power of questions. All right. The, again, I really love this. This is this is something that changed my perception and the way that I worked with people by by being upfront, asking this question upfront, understanding upfront what was going on. It made a huge change in my life. Okay. Let's go here. This, this is why I couldn't do this with like the thing in the back, because I have slides here, but I never know what order I'm going to do them in. <laughs> like, and it's just the flow is different. So anyway, uh, <clears throat> there are three overarching consulting assumptions that are true in every single consulting engagement, regardless of industry, regardless of the company. Uh, if, if you buy into the a consultant as somebody who has a position of influence over an individual group or organization, but no direct authority to make decisions, if you buy that, then you're acting as a consultant oftentimes with a friend who's picking out a new pair of shoes or a golf club, right? You're, you're certainly consulting with your teenage kids, right? No, I just tell them what to do. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just telling you that does not work, all right? So you're in a consulting role. So wherever you're in a consulting role, these three assumptions are true. So dealing with your 17-year-old, picking out a new parish to a friend because you can't make the decision for them, right? That's the whole thing. These, these, these uh, are always true. These assumptions are always true. And they're, they're important, I think, to talk about. This is another thing to talk about up front. Right? You take this whole presentation, the little things I'm talking and just make it part of your conversation that you have with every single prospective customer. Quick side note, I know. How many of you call them clients? Hands up. About, oh, a little more than a comma customers. How about both interchangeably? <laughs> Okay, so fewer people interested. So I, there, uh, th this is another tangent. There is a reason for why I say customers, not just because I work for Sage, because we call them customers. But I actually think that customer is the better word. This is a significantly better word. And here, and here is why. Um, the word client, uh, well, my background story, so three levels in. Uh, <laughs> growing up in my house, my dad taught Latin as a part-time Thing. He actually taught a post-Vatican II Catholic priest Latin, which I thought was very weird, because <laughs> they didn't. The post-Vatican II priest didn't learn Latin, right? so he taught a, a post-Vatican II priest Latin. Uh, and as a result of that, it was kind of weird because we would always talk about words. It, did you see my big fat Greek wedding? Remember that like one of there was the running gag with the, there was the the Windex, right? But then there was also give me a word, then I'll tell you how the origin is Greek, right? You know, and they would like throw orange at him, and he would come up with this convoluted reason as to how orange was actually a Greek word. You know, it's like, okay, so, but it was, so it was like that in my house growing up with my dad only Latin, right? And I will always remember the time we had the conversation about the word mortgage, which is a concatenation of two Latin words, mor mort, which means, you probably know this, mort means death, 
right? Mort means death. And gage, and this probably, anyone? Pledge. It means pledge. So a mortgage is a death pledge. <laughs> it's like it, it totally becomes clear then, right? It's like that. That makes, yes, it's a death pledge, right? Death pledge. Uh, so, so as a result of this, I am fascinated by etym etymologies and the origin of words and where they come from. And like the word debate, for example, I looked this one up the other night, literally means to beat down. That's what it means. So, and then we're surprised. That's what it means. It means a beat down for everybody, <laughs> right? Um, so anyway, the, the word that I looked up was client, and it comes from a word meaning to lean. In fact, the other, the other words that we have in English that have the same uh, root are decline, incline, right? So that, that C-L-I-N uh, is, is, the, is the word, and it, it, it meant one who leans, right? And this is because in ancient Roman times, the lawyers... Uh, all had, they had to provide their services for whether they were plaintiffs or a defendant, and there was no pricing back then. If you were a lawyer in ancient Rome, you were just assigned cases as they came into the court system, and it didn't, didn't matter. I'm sure there was some un, under-the-table payoffs and stuff, but there was no, act, it was, you had, it's like public defender system today. They just, you just had to be assigned to it, right? So the, they started to refer to the people that they were working with as, as the leaners, the, the clientele, right? Because most of them were, you know, getting sick from drinking too much at the the Bacchiavellian festival the other night, right? And they, you know, got in trouble. So they had to, they had to be fixed, right? They're, they're leaning, we've got to fix them. Leaning, we've got to fix them, right? So the client is one who leans. In fact, the word is, still has the same connotation in social work today, right? Social workers have clients, right? Ones who lean, we've got to fix them. Now, some of you are like, yep, that's what they are. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> Come at me every year with the proverbial shoebox, and I gotta fix them back up again. And then I'm the one who's leaning because I start drinking. Um, okay. So, I, I, so, but you see the patron benefactor nature of that relationship, right? It's a very patron benefactor type thing. Whereas the word customer is Anglo-Saxon, and it means one whose custom it is, right? So it's your custom. It was their custom to to come into the store when they came from the farm to come into the general stores, their custom, right? And I, and I think that that's really what we're looking for in the relationship, at, at especially you know, bookkeepers with people, is you want them to think of you as, cust it's their custom. It should be their custom to engage with you. Not a come to me when you're leaning and I fix you, right? So this is back to that insurance, fire insurance versus putting out fire. So that's why I prefer the term customer. Right? And it's these little, little language changes that I think clue us in and, and help us to begin to think differently by using those words. Okay, so, see, that was a four-tangent recovery. Um, <laughs> and you're like, some of you are like, he keeps track of the tangents in his head. Haven't? Yeah, I have to, right? Because it's the only way I can get successfully get back. All right, so here's my, here are the assumptions. Problem solving requires valid data. Problem solving requires valid data. If I'm here to help you solve a problem, I need valid data about the problem. And this is not just data on the hard drive or in the cloud, right? This is the data, like pe how people feel about things, that's data. That's a, that's a data point. It's soft data, but it's data, right? So how people actually feel about stuff is something that we have to, so we have, if, if I'm here to help you, I need valid data about the problem. You can't withhold 
data from me. And even if it is financial data, which I don't know if you've ever encountered this, but I used to do this when I was doing software implementations. I would be, you know, ask them financial related questions like, you know, what's your revenue? And they say, well, that's proprietary. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, wait, what? I mean, I'm going to help you put in a new accounting system. I'm probably going to need to know what your revenue is. I mean, this is like, well, that's proprietary. We don't share that information. Blah, blah, blah. So that's what you have to, uh, I hope all of you have a, a non-disclosure agreement that should be ready to go at any point, right? You should just be able to you know, pull it out of your bag and sign the non-disclosure. I promise not to disclose any of this information back and forth. Right? So that's something that you should really have in your bag of tricks immediately in case that ever comes up. But what I think is fascinating about this is that usually times they're, they're here to, you, yes, they want you to help them solve a problem, but they won't give you data about the problem. And to me, it's a little bit like going to a, a, the thoracic surgeon and saying, yep, I need triple bypass, give it to me. <laughs> and they're like, well, how about, what'd you do? I went to Dr. Google, and Dr. Google said, I need triple bypass. That's, that's what, so just, you need to give it to me. Like, well, how about if I take your blood pressure? Whew, I don't know if you can take it, because you might use that against me. Right? Well, how about your heart rate? Mm, no, I think that's personal. <laughs> Just give me the triple bypass surgery. So, but but uh, we're laughing, but you have conversations like that, don't you? Right? So that's why dealing with this is an upfront consulting assumption. I say, look, I'm here to help you solve a problem. I need data about the problem. You can't withhold the data. Right? Again, soft data or hard data, whatever that is. Problem solving requires valid data. Next, decision making requires free choice. <clears throat> decision making requires free choice. People have to be free to choose yes or no. This is why I like this notion of being not the decision maker, and it's them who makes all decisions, any and all decisions, your decision. Here's what I found, here's your options, here's what I recommend, but it's your decision. Right? It's, uh, this is my consulting role. Decision-making requires free choice. No has to be on the table. No always has to be an option. Stop has to be an option. At all times. Right? At all times. We, let's stop this. And you should be pro a proponent of that. Look, if you're uncomfortable, we, we should, let's, just, let's just stop. Okay? So decision-making requires free choice. <clears throat> Why? Because if you, don't have, if you don't have free choice, it's not a decision, is it? Right? If you're coerced in some way, it's, it's, you have to. Now, that's, a, that's different from not liking your choices. Okay? That's different from not liking your choices. There might be three choices that you put forward for a customer, and they're like, well, all three of these are pretty terrible. And you're like, yes, which one sucks less? <laughs> right? That we, and that we're just going to pick the one that sucks less. That's the best we can do in this case, is which is less sucky. All right? So, it, so that, that's, that's not, well, I don't have a choice. No, you do have a choice. <laughs> See the difference? Uh, by the way, the inverse is true. The inverse is true. Um, in other words, don't take no from someone who doesn't have the authority to say yes. Right? Don't take no from someone who has the authority to say yes. I find this extraordinarily helpful in dealing with, dare I say this, technical support, especially cable companies, cell phones, because the frontline support people oftentimes cannot say yes to you, right? Their job is to say no. That's their job. 
So I, I, I noticed that I was getting you know, higher and higher blood pressure as I was dealing with this. So the way that I, I deal with it now is I call the first person and I explain the situation and then I ask them specifically, do you have the authority to say yes to me? Do you have the authority to fix my problem? And if the answer is no, I ask, well, then you, can you connect me to the person who does? Would you like my supervisor? Does your supervisor have the authority to fix my problem? No. Then I don't want to talk to your supervisor, because I, <laughs> I want to talk to the person who has the ability to deal with my problem. Well, that would be our VP of whatever. Great. <laughs> That's the person I want to talk to. Right? So don't take no from someone who doesn't have the authority to say yes. And ask them, do you have the authority to say yes? Because some people don't. And they actually thank you. Thank you so much. Because <laughs> I can't say yes to you. <laughs> right? Okay, so decision making requires free choice. The third assumption, effective implementation requires customer commitment. Notice that the operative word in all three of these actually is the word require. Right? Problem solving requires valid data. Decision making requires free choice. Effective implementation requires customer commitment. Not would sort of be nice to have. It would be great, it would be sort of good if we could have your commitment. That would be sort of good. No, it requires it, right? Effective implementation requires customer commitment. And what I like about talking with these up front is you can set that ex the expectation. This is how we're going to operate. This is the, this is, the assumptions are things which should not be left unsaid. I know it's a double negative, but it's true, right? Things that should not be left unsaid. These three things should not be left unsaid. These are the things we should talk about up front early on in the relationship. And by the way, <clears throat> there is a difference between commitment and support, right? There is a difference between commitment and support. The, the way that I like to phrase it, this is an old yarn, but in, it's like bacon and eggs for breakfast. The chicken is supportive, the pig is committed. <laughs> right? Skin in the game. <laughs> right? Skin in the game. Right? Um, commitment is we stand together on this. Right? We stand, we stand as one. Right? Not just, yep, I'm very supportive. <laughs> Good luck with that. Have fun. Until I'm not supportive anymore. I'm supportive now. And be careful of that word. I hear it all the time. You have my support. Do I have your commitment? Uh, no. Hmm. Isn't that a conversation to have? Right? There's a difference between commitment and support without a question. Are you committed? No, I'm not fully committed, but I'm supportive. Right? So, requires this. These are, these are always true in every engagement. I would go so far as to definitely talk about these up front at the beginning, but then I would also take these statements and put these into uh, any, any kind of scope document that you have, where you restate under the assumptions for the project itself, because there are other, <clears throat> this, this, let talk, call these assumptions about the relationship that we're, we have. These are our assumptions about our relationship, right? And then there might also be an assumptions that are true about that particular engagement that are usually more technical or specific. Does that make sense, right? 
you know, assumption, we assume that you're going to have the latest version of Windows or something. You know, that's, that's an assumption. Right? <laughs> Windows 95 is 22 years ago. <laughs> Microsoft hasn't supported it in the last 10 years. I'm just thinking it's time to move off of Windows 95. All right. Um, I wish they would get back to that. I liked, I liked, I, I quite liked the the naming the product after the year name because you could point out the absurdity. <laughs> right? I thought that was good. But then they they skipped. They went to they went to Windows 8 and then they went to Windows 10. You know why they skipped, by the way, nine? Anyone, you know why they skipped nine? This is you can look this up. I am not making this up. They skipped nine because there was code in Windows, in the core code of Windows, that said, if version of Windows equals nine asterisk, then do this, right? Well, because asterisk the wild card, right? So in other words, the code that was written that was, if it was Windows 98 or Windows 95, do, do this, right? And what they found is, is when they, when they called, when they said, we're calling this Windows 9, all of that code executed. So rather than take it out, they just said, the hell with it, let's just go to Windows 10. <laughs> True story. <laughs> True story. <laughs> right? I may distort the truth, but I won't lie to you. <laughs> All right? All right. Any um, thoughts or questions about these, these assumptions? Is that helpful, too? Are these assumptions helpful? All right, awesome. And I'm just checking in here. I got about 25 minutes left, right? Is that right? Okay. <laughs> well, well, I, I totally missed that. 24? <laughs> I'm not an accountant either. <laughs> not a lawyer. Not an accountant. Not a bookkeeper. Good. I'm glad you keep me on track here. All right, good. All right. So the next thing I want to talk about is I want to talk about the, the consulting goals, right? The consulting goals. Consulting, first let me talk about the, the difference between a goal and an objective, okay? Uh, because I think this is something that is misunderstood in project management and something that's really important. In fact, I can remember early in my career often asking a question that sounded something like this. What are your goals and objectives for this thing, for this implementation, for our relationship? What are the goals and objectives? And it, it was completely interchangeable, right? There is actually a difference between a goal and an objective, and the twain shall not meet. It's really not a good idea to mix goals and objectives at all. Really, in fact, it's a bad idea, right? And that is because a goal is that to which we aspire, right? That to which we aspire, but might not happen. I mean, think about hockey, right? There's, the, 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 your game is played to score a goal, but there are shutouts, right? So the, the, not all the time does, does, the, does, the, does a team score the goal, Right? So they aspire to it. This happens in soccer, too, right? They have this, the soccer. You have the, the, I'm not a soccer guy. I don't like soccer. It's like you have the world championship once every four years. It usually ends in a nil-nil tie. <laughs> not even zero-zero. Just say zero is strong. Nil. All right, sorry. The, but, the, but then they go on, and then it's like, well, we're going to play a little bit longer. But then we're tired. It's once every four years. Run a little. And... <laughs> And then we change the game at the end. It's like completely change the rules. Oh, uh, we're tired, so we're just going to solve this by penalty kicks. Well, then we'll decide. 
It's like baseball would go, well, we played a bunch of innings to the seventh game of the World Series. It's, it's you know, even after 12 innings. We're tired now. Let's just do home run derby. <laughs> we'll see who wins. Like, no, that's not going to work. See, hockey I respect, right? In playoff hockey, <laughs> keep skating. Like, people passing out on the ice, doesn't matter. Someone is eventually going to score something. I like that. That's really good. All right, so goal, that to which we aspire but might not happen. An objective is by, for lack of a better term, objective. It's, it, 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 we're going to do it. This, so we're going to do this, we're going to do this. And the idea being is that if we accomplish all of the objectives, this is going to happen, 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 that what will happen if we get those, the goal? Also, the other important thing is that objectives have a specific time about them. There's, the objectives are said to be smart. You've probably heard this. Smart, S-M-A-R-T. Specific, measurable, attainable, relevant, time-sensitive. I'm not going to do that again, but if you, if you need that, come to me. Right? But it's the last one, time-sensitive, is what's important. An objective says, this will be done by this date. A goal does not have that. Right? A goal does not have a date. It's we aspire, we hope it will happen. So here's an example in an organization. A goal might be to increase sales by 10%, increase revenue by 10%. That's a goal. That's a goal of an engagement. But it's not an objective because it might not happen. Right? And the trouble is, I saw some of you shaking your heads. If you, yes on this. When you intermingle these, when you intermingle goals and objectives and have them the same thing, if you have a goal that's something like, that, that is aspirational and it doesn't happen, the customer says to you, well, this project's not done. Because we didn't get to the goal. See, the key here is engagements can be complete by completing all of the objectives, even if the goals don't happen. Right? That's the important thing to note, that if we do all of this stuff, when do those goals usually happen? Do they happen immediately? No, it's oftentimes you know, six months, 12 months, a year later, right? So that's why we want to make sure that we separate out goals and objectives. All right, so these are the consulting goals. Every single consulting engagement, helping a friend pick out a new golf club or a new pair of shoes, advising a 17-year-old child on what college to go to, uh, all the way on the stuff, the stuff that you do. These goals are true in all of these circumstances. There's a, goals about the relationship. First, to solve problems so that they stay solved for as long as possible. Now, that's a little nebulous. I get that, right? But there are plenty of consultants who solve problems so that they stay solved until home. <laughs> right? And I think that, that can be a differentiator, to say, solve problems so that they, they stay solved for as long as possible. Now, we say, well why, well, why not permanently? I mean, shouldn't you say permanently? Well, that is not possible. Think about it. One of the laws of systems thinking, which would be another fun class to do someday, uh, is, to, is, to, is that today's problems come usually from yesterday's solutions. Right? Today's problems come from yesterday's solutions. You ever walk in and a company is running uh, in the entire organization on 17 spreadsheets? <laughs> yesterday. Okay, so yes, I'm sure you see that, right? At one point, every single one of those 17 spreadsheets was a solution to a particular problem, right? It was a solution to a particular problem, but now the problem has become that we're running 17 spreadsheets and none of them talk to one another. Right? But all 17 of them were solutions, and sometimes very good solutions. 
right? So today's problems often come from yesterday's solutions. Anybody still have you know, customers on DOS-based software? <laughs> Hand up in the back, I love it, this is awesome. All right, so that's a pro clearly a problem. Was it at one time the best possible solution for them? Yeah, absolutely, right? So there's, there's no, it's just universal. So we wanna, and I think this can be a differentiator for you as a consultant to say, look, this is, we're looking long term. We're always looking long term. How, how can we solve this for as long as possible? Next, to establish a collaborative relationship. And you're like, wait a minute, didn't you say that collaborative relationship was requirement? Yes, but you have to, you constantly need to reinforce the collaborative relationship. Customers will always experience doubts and dilemmas, right? So we've, we've got to make sure that we continue to build on this collaborative relationship and stay at that later. Um, this one is, I think, really interesting. To ensure that attention is given both to the technical problem and the emotional well-being of the customer. Now, this is the thing that I personally think you guys are way better at than, say, accountants. Right? This, is not, this is not to disparage them. This is not to make them bad people. Right? But I think you have a distinct advantage in this in that you care both about the technical problem and the emotional well-being of the people that you're working with. Right? And this is, to me, this is the, the, the true nature of a consultant, is the balance of these. The, the world needs technicians. I'm not saying that technicians are bad. Technicians are, are wonderful. We need, we need them. But we shouldn't let them talk to customers. <laughs> All right? We should just you know, keep them in a cubicle and throw them raw programming meat or something. Right? Because they, they don't care. Right? They, they're, 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 it's not, it doesn't make them bad people. They're just, they're, so this is a, a great example of this. Okay, so you call up a you know, technical support and you're like, um, my, uh, the, the inventory valuation report is uh, taking 40 hours to run, it takes 40 hours to process. And the technician, who sometimes is on the other end, we're getting, all of us are getting better at this, but sometimes technician on the end, and the, you get this, what is it, right? Well, yeah, I mean, the number is right, but it's taking 40 hours to run. I don't understand your problem. As you say, it's right, isn't it? Well, yeah, it's right, but it's taking 40 hours to run. I don't know, <laughs> right? Because they, they, they don't, it's, there's not a jump from, well, but we, you know, we need to produce this on a more regular basis, and we'll just you know, run it 40 hours before you need it. I, you know, that. <laughs> That's, that's the technical solution, right? It's right, you know. So they give it, it's a technical solution to a, a problem, and, and it's technically correct, right? It's technically correct. There's, there's an old yarn about, you know, a, a helicopter uh, coming into uh, Seattle, and uh, it, it, it wanted to, to, to land, but um, they, they couldn't figure out where they were because their navigation systems were broken, but the cloud cover was at a certain level that some of the, some of the, the tall buildings in Seattle were above where the, the fog was. So the helicopter flows over to this office building, right? And they hold up a sign to this conference room where there's you know, people and, they're, they're, and, and they hold up a sign and they say, where are we? <laughs> right? And, and the guys at the, the conference room table are like, okay, hold on. So they, they go there and they write down, and they, they hold up, you're in a helicopter. <laughs> and, the, and the helicopter, the pilot goes, 
got a thanks, he goes, and he goes, he lands. And the passengers are completely amazed by it, like, this, how is this possible? And he goes, well, I knew that since I got a technically correct but useless answer, that was the Microsoft building. <laughs> Thank you, I'm here all night. All right, so, sorry Microsoft, I could have said anything. <laughs> Didn't really matter, pick your whoever. All right, uh, <laughs> ensure that attention is given to both the technical problem and the emotional well-being of the customer. It's gotta be in balance. That's the difference between a technician and a consultant, right? A technician and a consultant who, who understands that they give the, those things in true balance. That's why it's you and your organization all those things. And then the last one is to continue to develop this customer commitment, right? Continue to develop this idea of customer commitment. On, uh, I, back to collaborative for a second. I, I wanted to say this and just to re, that collaborative relationship, what I was talking about earlier is you being a model for behavior. That's what I'm talking about there, right? That's, that's where you come in. Uh, there, there should be a certain amount of magic work that you do that is not related technically in any way, right? Having meetings start on time is magic work. Getting people in Kingston, Jamaica to come back on time and for education sessions is magic work, right? It's magic work. Uh, the, some of the techniques that I've often used to, to collaborative tools, I don't know if you've ever done like um, any kind of N3 analysis where you're, where you're trying to get a, to, to collaborate on coming up with a, a brainstorming meeting, right? Brainstorming meeting, you've done that and you get people to, to agree on the top three things. I don't have time to go through this, but get people to agree on the top three things. I actually did that once at a, at a partner retreat for a bunch of, uh, it was a CPA firm in the United States, and we, we, we did this in about an hour, we got our top three strategic priorities for the next year. The managing partner brought me aside and said, are you a witch? <laughs> what spell did you cast on my partners? I'm like, what are you talking about? He says, well, we've been trying to have get, get to that for 17 years. <laughs> get to agreement on the top three things that we need to do in any particular year, and we can never get past that. Yeah, I'm a witch. <laughs> I'm not, I'm gonna, like, let them believe that, right? Let them believe that. It's, it, it. I don't want to talk about an idea, um, and, it, and it really bothers me to talk about, or to use this example, but it's the best example for this. Um, and it's a behavior that I hope all of you aspire to, to have this. And it's, it's, the, it's an Italian word, and it's the, the word is sprezzatura. Sprezzatura. This guy, who I hated, I'm a huge New York Mets fan. Huge New York Mets fan. I'm like, they're playing early today. Right? I mean, cause we're like, we have no pitching left, but we, I still want to just make the playoffs anyway. Even though we're gonna be out, doesn't matter. But this guy, Derek Jeter, who I hated, has sprezzatura, right? This is a, a famous scene, I think this is from the 2000 World Series where he, he just dives in to the stands to make this catch, right? He came up like face bloody, 
you know, but just absolutely no regard. And this is where, you know, relatively younger guy just dives in and makes this play. Here's, here's another example of him, because this, this, this to me is the quintessential. This is an, this Sprezzatura moment. There's nothing better than this. And this is a video. There's, you don't have to hear the sound, right? No. Just, just no. <laughs> like, really? <laughs> and then, look, it's just... <laughs> right? That right there, that's Sprezzatura. That's like, yep, <sighs> nothing but a day in the office for Derek. <laughs> right? Nothing but a day in the office. No big deal. That's what I do. Right? Sprezzatura means to make something that is incredibly difficult look easy. That's what it means. Take something that is incredibly difficult and make it look easy. I think consultants should act with sprezzatura. I think your, your customers should oftentimes look at you and say, that, that was hard, wasn't it? Yep. <laughs> Nothing but a day at the office. Ready for the next play. Uh, and here's, here's the, please, please do not start talking with your customers about how busy you are. I'm begging you. I know for many of you who are in the you know, late baby boomer generation like me, it's the only socially acceptable answer to how are you busy. It's only, really, baby boomer's like, how are you busy? Whoo, busy. Whoosh. Very busy. All right? Yeah. <laughs> don't, uh, let me finish. So do, do, please, do not, do not tell your customers how busy you are when they ask. Because so, that's what, you, how are you? Whoo, we're busy. Because who do you often say that to? Your A customers, who are what? Nice people, right? And what do they do when they have a problem? Like, ah, I don't want to call Mary. She's so busy. Ah. Who does call you then? Moron Fred calls you. That's who calls. Moron Fred, because Moron Fred doesn't give a crap about you. So you get the call from Moron Fred, but you don't get the call from Mary. Why? Because you told Mary you were busy. Right? I want, I want my professionals, the ones that I interact with, I want my professionals that I work with to have excess capacity. I don't want any of the professionals that I work with to be at 100% utilization. Why? Because if I have a toothache, I want to call my dentist and him say to me, come on in. And if he's at 120% capacity, he's going to say, 
I gotta wait two weeks. I don't want that. I want you to have excess capacity. If you're already thinking, I don't have any capacity right now, you're in trouble. <laughs> right? You should have excess capacity. You should have enough capacity that if your best customers call you up, that you're like, yep, I can drop everything, I'll be there. All right? We don't, we don't like 100% efficiency. Human beings do not like 100% efficiency. We actually like it when people, in some cases, make ostentatious displays. You're like, no, I don't. Yeah, you do. Right? We do. This, this is by the, the peacock is the, the, the example of this. Right? Peacock has this tail. It basically says to the females, like, it's, it's, I, I'm so effective as a bird that I can carry this ridiculous thing on my back <laughs> and still function as a living organism. <laughs> right? it's, and it's the same thing that a sports car does for some women. Not all. <laughs> Not all. It demonstrates excess capacity. Right? Because if, you know, if women were attracted to men with high-priced vehicles, you'd all trace truck drivers. They, that's the most expensive car on the road, the 18-wheeler. <laughs> <laughs> right? But, it doesn't, but it, doesn't, it doesn't display excess capacity at all. It's too functional. Right? It's too functional. So we, we want our professionals to display excess capacity. This is why uh, Shakespeare says, let me have men about me who are fat in Caesar. All right? It's not that he you know, wanted large people and didn't think they should be, eat healthy. Uh, what he wanted is people who had a longer time horizon than when's their next meal coming from. Right? And we, we tend to trust people who are, are thinking more long-term. And if you're always busy, you're thinking short-term, and the level of trust will go down on you. So, sprezzatura will enable you. That's, what you, that's the aspirational that I put forward for you. Do hard stuff, but make it look easy. Right? Do hard stuff and make it look easy. That's, to, to me, sprezzatura is the ultimate aspirational goal that to which we, for, for any consultant to display sprezzatura. Thoughts, questions? I got it. I got it. Sorry, I'll just re quick repeat it. People who come to you and say, you're pretty busy. Well, first of all, you, how do they know? You shouldn't have been telling them, right? So the, the, they, they guess. Maybe they guess. They just assume, oh, they're busy. All right? So, but, but I would say, here's what I, what I would say is, how, if they say, how's business? That could be like, how's business, right? How's, how's, how's business? I said, pretty good, but we could always use more. Does that help? Yeah, it does. It's yeah. just like, yeah, yeah, always use more, especially for you. Okay, because they do, they say that, and then they, they pause as if you're real busy. Can I bother you now? I guess that's the impression I'm getting. Is that a Canadian thing, though, or is that just like the universe? Like, they just, I'm glad you're laughing with me on that. 
I did, honestly, I did have, I did, I did. This actually did happen to me a number of years ago. Uh, it was at a Canadian thing, and somebody, I stepped on someone's foot, and they said sorry. <laughs> I was like, I stepped on your foot. He's like, well, my is in the way. <laughs> I was like, no, I'm a dork, don't you? <laughs> okay. Yeah, so, so the impression I get is, are you, like, are you able to take, take me now, or can you talk now? Yeah. Um, do you sort of put, like, I guess you kind of minimize it, but how would you really direct in words like that? Say, okay, maybe... Um, you, you, you have to, I mean, have excess capacity to the point where if somebody who's an A-level customer calls you up with a toothache or some problem, you're like, you have my full attention. Right? That's, that's what I want you to aspire to. I, I don't want you to aspire to, we are so freaking busy that we have no capacity. That, that, if that's the, I mean, that's the, that's the ultimate Ron Baker dream, right? If you have people who are full capacity, all this stuff, okay, here's the, here's the, here's the example. Uh, raise your price, <laughs> right? That's a, that's a, law of supply and demand. It's pretty straightforward. It's like, okay, then we just get, if I increase prices, we'll have less, right? That's how, how it works. So double your prices. You'll be less busy next day. <laughs> right? All right. And, and I just want to be, be aware here. We're, we're like okay. right on time here. So I got to... Okay, good. Okay. So um, with those hours of accessibility, what are the boundaries, you know, for those A people other than a quick text or, a, you know, yeah. answer? So great question. This is this is one of the things that we do talk about when we talk about building access level agreements, and 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 that it, you could you can offer that only to a select few customers, right? Like it's like okay, only if you are willing to pay this, do you have twenty four seven access to me via text, right? If if you want that, we have an we have a choice. We have, you can you can opt into that, but you pay a premium. <laughs> you pay a premium for that, right? I'm happy to do that, but. It, you're going to pay a premium. That makes sense. All right. I, I'm, I, I do this, but I can't take any more questions. So don't ask. <laughs> All right. Our our revels now are ended. I hope you have a great conference. Wait, what was that? Well, I can't read that. There's no like this blaring. Four minutes. Four minutes. You've got four minutes, Ed. I, yeah, the lights are I, four minutes. I'll take another question. Yeah, so, so I, you know, I had the Shakespeare lined up at the end. All right, good. You left us hanging about Frank. Yeah. <laughs> I did leave you hanging on Frank. Thank you. So Frank, Frank, Frank was was in his his late. This is like nineteen ninety. This is nineteen ninety four ish. And again, Frank had to do the inventory transfers, right? And uh, Ed, how do you do this inventory transfer? And I would show him like the five steps again, right? It's like, and then two weeks later, because it didn't happen that often, like, how do you do this? How do you do this? How do you do this? And I, th then I got into like, I would write out the instructions for him, right? This was after the fact that there was a sticky note with his username and password on the monitor. Have you seen this? Like, <laughs> Frank, your password's your daughter's name. I'm, th I'm just thinking you can remember that, but whatever. <laughs> So it, how do you do it? How do you do it? And I printed up the instructions because after he, you know, he said he took notes and then lost them, you know. And I'm, I, I've got everything laid out for him. And and finally, 
The answer was, is to use a, the technique of dealing with resistance called mirroring, where I just said to him, Frank, you seem to be confused, but I think you're a smart person. Clearly, this is just something you just don't want to do. Now, I should tell you that Frank was a member of the New York Giants taxi squad in the late 60s. For those of you who don't follow football, taxi squad was kind of like a minor league system that professional football players had in. And, and he, had, he had a last name that I pretty much feel that if he wanted to, he could have just reached out and went and like there would be no more Ed. I was about 40 pounds lighter and probably would have buried me in a place where I never would have been found. <laughs> and, I, and I was fearful, honestly. I was fearful because he was, he was big. He was like 6'3", right? Big, huge dude. And he finally then says to me, after 60 seconds of silence, and the key was shutting up and letting him, talk, letting him think this through for 60 seconds, which seemed like forever, <laughs> right? And I actually then saw it left, leave his body, I, whatever it was. His shoulders went down like this, and he backed away from me. And he said, you're right. He said, I thought I was going to be able to retire before I learned how to use a computer system. <laughs> so now we're there, right? Now he's admitted. So now I can ask him additional questions, right? I can ask him additional questions. So I was like, well, so Frank, um, how old are you? He's like, 57. Well, when are you going to retire? I'm 65. <laughs> Not a math major or anything, but that's eight years from now. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. So, and then I asked him, and I'm just inspired, but I said, so Frank, what do you want to do? And he thought about it. It wasn't another 60 seconds, but it was a good, then significant pause. <laughs> and he said, and I... Again, one of the most profound moments of my consulting career, he said, I'm ready. Could you show me one more time? I'm ready. Could you show me one more time? And I, we went through, and I did this. He's like, OK, got it. And then Frank became the inventory transfer Maniac! I kid you not, he was walking around the warehouse going, where's the inventory to transfer? I am king of inventory transfer. Bring it on, inventory transfer. <laughs> so thanks for reminding me. But yeah, so <laughs> that's how I saved my life. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so it's a good story. Yeah, Spresa Torah. So seriously, our, really, our revels now are ended. Um, I want you to, I'm around the rest of this conference. So we're doing a, a radio show here later. Do you know that? We're going to do, they, they mentioned it at the thing. So after the, after the meeting, the, the, your, your big meeting, Ron and I are going to have the, the here, and we're going to record our radio show for Friday. Right, right after that. So if you, if you want, this, this is not a required event. Right? So just come on down and um, hang with us, and we will possibly take questions from the audience. So 
where you will have to use a microphone because it's the only way to record it, right? So that's the rules. All right, peace out. We'll see you. Thanks.